0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: So we are in uh, the book of Shemot, we're in the book of Exodus. We are on chapter 6 of the book of Exodus. We are in Parshat Vaera, not Vayera, Vayera. There is a portion called Vayera. That is not this one. Um, This one is Va'era, I and I appeared. And we'll see uh, which verse that comes from and what goes on with that. So if you're in one of those books that divides things heavily by Parsha, I'm going to start at the end of chapter 5. I want to remind us what's going on before we begin chapter 6. So let's go to chapter 5 and let's go to verse, actually let's go to verse 1 we don't often study chapter five when we're in that Parsha because it leads right into chapter six chapter. It would leave us hanging at chapter five to look at that text. So we don't usually read chapter five when we're in the Parsha from last week.
0: So let's look at chapter
1: five. Oh, I have to share my screen. Don't I? Okay. So those of you at home, we are here um using the Everett Fox translation. I, moved us on from the JPS translation. Um so on Safaria, you can pick your translation. So right on the screen below where it says Exodus 5, you'll see the shock and Bible Everett Fox. Okay, that's the that's the translation we're using. Because I like it. Okay. Va'achar. So like, you know, we often get this way to start a story in Torah is va'achar, meaning, you know, after what just happened. We don't know how long after what just happened, but after what just happened, um, it's a way to say we're starting, we're starting another episode. We're starting another scene. So what, what is this scene? Oh. So, um, afterwards, whatever just happened, Moshe and Aaron come to Paro and, and they say, what do they say? <clears throat> Thus says Yud Hey the God of Israel, Shlach Etami. What is it? Come on, y'all know this.
0: Let my people go.
1: Let my people go, right? Think, right? Think the movies, right? So let let my people go, right? So um, Shlach Etami, literally, send my people. So uh, so uh Moshe and Aharon are speaking. Uh, in the persona of God, right, so this is God speaking to Pharaoh. Let send out my people by Yahogu that they may make a hag right for me in the desert. <clears throat> it is not saying, "Let my people go free from slavery. That is a misreading of the story that is not what they ask for. They ask for the opportunity to have a holiday. To God in the desert. Paro <clears throat> and what does Paro say? Me Yudhe Vafhe Asher Eshmabikolo. Who is this Yudhe Vavhe that I should listen to its voice to send Israel? Loya et I don't know Yudhe Vavhe. And also Israel, I'm not gonna send PS they said Eloheha Ibrim Nikra Alenu, the god of the Ibrim, the God of the Hebrews, has called us, and now let us go a three days journey into the wilderness and let us sacrifice to vav Vavhe our God, lest God confront us with the pestilence or the sword. We're afraid of vav Vavhe. If we don't do what Hey Vav commands, we'll be in trouble. So let us go. We just want a three day break in order to worship. And the king of Egypt says to them, for what reason, Moshe and Aharon, would you let the people loose from their tasks? Go back to your, um, go back to your sufferings, essentially. Paro said, so Paro says, Here, too many now are the people of the land, and you would have them cease from their burdens. Again, the word sufferings, actually, in Hebrew. So that day, Paro commanded the slave drivers of the people and its officers, saying you are no longer to give straw to the people to make the bricks as yesterday and the day before. Let it be they that go and gather straw for themselves. But the same measure of bricks that they have been making yesterday and the day before, you are to impose on them. You are not to subtract from it, for they are lax. Therefore, they cry out, saying, let us go sacrifice to our God. Right? They're lazy. They don't want to work? No problem. We're going to make the work even harder. Then let them complain. Let the servitude weigh heavily on the men. They shall have to do it. So that they pay no more regard to false words, meaning the words of uh, Moshe and Aaron, possibly the words of Yehovah. The slave drivers of the people and its officers went out and said to the people, "Thus says Paro: I will not give you straw. You go get yourself straw wherever you can find it. Indeed, not one load is to be subtracted from your servitude. So now you have less raw material, and you have the same amount of of pro you know, of production to achieve. The people scattered throughout all the land of Egypt, gathering stubble for straw. But the slave drivers pressed them hard, saying, finish your task. Each day's workload in its day as when there was straw. And they were beaten. The officers of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over them, they said to them, for what reason have you not finished baking your allocation as yesterday and the day before? So yesterday, so today. So the, so these, so the, so there are Israelites who are put over other Israelites, right? That's how every system of oppression works, right? You put members of that people over the people to make sure they're kept in line.
0: Am's as well. well. Of
1: course. Kapos. So the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, why do you do this to your servants? No straws being given to your servants. And as for bricks, they say to us, make them. Here your servants are being beaten, and the fault is your people's. But he said, Lax are you, therefore you say let us go sacrifice to Yudhe Bafay. So now go, serve, no straw shall be given to you, and the full measure in bricks you must give back. The officers of the children of Israel saw they were in plight. Uh, do, do not subtract from your brick each day's workload in its day. So this is obviously the way Torah is repeating this over and over and over and over. We are to understand this as an incredible um, amount of suffering and terror that's happening. So, I mean, you know, think of any situation right where you have labor, forced labor and labor camps and the, the, the conditions are always such that people are at the verge. And so now you take away some of the raw material there to use, but their production can't go down. It, this, this is, this is life and death. This is, Kind of the ultimate in suffering in terms of ha- having to do this every day.
0: When did we adopt the notion that we we're building pyramids? It's not written
1: anywhere. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. That that we are building pyramids. I I have no idea. Like, I mean, I I sort of grew up with it vaguely too. I, like, right? But they they're building storehouses. Right. They said to them. May Yudhei Buffet see you and Judge for having made uh, our smell rank in the eyes of Paro and in the eyes of his servants, giving a sword into their hands to kill us. Moshe returned to Yudhei Buffet and said, hello, like, why have you dealt ill with this people? Why have you sent me? Right? So the same word used about what's supposed to happen with Israel, shlachetami, send my people. Mos- Moshe says, like, Lamaze shalach tani. Why did you shalach me? <laughs> right? Like, you want me to, sh- to say shalach them. Why did you shalach me when this is the result? Why did you bother sending me? Since I came to Paro to speak in your name, he has dealt only ill with this people. And you have not rescued the people that you promised to rescue. All right. So it is in that context now that God speaks to Moshe. That Moshe goes to Paro, delivers the message he's supposed to deliver. Let me take them for a three-day festival to Yudhei Bafe. Thus speaks Yudhei Bafé. Paro says, Who's this Yodhei Bafe to me? Now your life just got harder. You want to start with me? Your life just got harder. It's in that context that we now have this conversation between God and Moshe. <clears throat> so Moshe says, Why did you even send me? Their lives are horrible now, even worse. So God said to Moshe, now you'll see what I'm going to do to Paro, right? Right? Biyar chazaka yishalchem, with a strong hand shall I send them. So again, this verb, right, to send. God will send them. U'veyad <laughs> chazaka will I drive them out of his land, right? So this is the language of the Haggadah, right? With, with a yad Chazakah, right? With a mighty hand and an, come on, y'all. There you go, Maxwell House Hagada. With a my mighty hand and an outstretched arm, right? Right from here, right from Torah. So now we're starting parts of So you can see it's kind of in the middle of an episode that we're starting Parsha Vayera. God speaks to Moshe and says, I am El heh vav Shaddai. But, this is the disjunctive Vav at the beginning of verse 3. But, I appeared to Abraham, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov. And this bet here is as... El Shaddai, as El Shaddai. Ushmi, again the disjunctive vav, but my name, yod Vavhe, vav he, lo no dati lahem. I was not known to them by. This is in the passive voice, lo no dati. It's not in the active. It's not, I did not make myself known to them with that name. It's, they didn't know me by that name. So lots of commentary, as you can imagine, is being written about this, right? Yeah. Lots of commentary. What what does that mean? I I appeared to your ancestors as El Shaddai, but they didn't know me as vav hey They didn't know me B'Shmi, but by that name. All right. So lots of rabbinic yeah. tradition around the fact that partly because it's in this passive voice, Lo no Dati Lahem, I was not known to them. Is that Is that the ancestors needed a different experience of the divine than does Moshe? That it's a different, it's a different way of experiencing God's presence in the world that's needed at this moment than was needed by the ancestors. There's no question it is the same God, right? Um, Possibly there is uh, an understanding of an evolution of Hebrew Thinking and talking about the divine that moves from El Shaddai to an understanding of God as Yudhei So well,
0: Regarding the name, the difference between Yudhei Bafet or Elohim or, or El Shaddai, is it meant to be like a different manifestation of God, like different characteristics? Or is it a product of just amalgamating all of the different traditions through time? and making each group happy that their name has been represented. Gum-vigum. gum. gum gum.
1: Because they're not exclusive, right? So yes, to your second point, that's how it happens that all of these names are in our text is because you need to represent the name preferred or known to different groups of people that you're wanting to buy the National History Book. So yes, um, and... The rabbis would say, God forbid, right? For the rabbis, of course, these are different manifestations of the only one, capital O, right?
0: Like, so do they ascribe different characteristics? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. So that is where a lot of commentary gets written on the different names. Um, So if I were to click on this verse, for instance, if I click on this verse in safaria nothing happens. <laughs> oh, there I <is>. speak. <laughs> If I click on that verse, you can see over here where it says resources, right? So you can go and you can find um, one of the resources that that comes in this side menu um, is called Sheets. And you can see all of these different sheets that people have produced where this verse appears. And many of them look, see the divine council and other gods. Whoops. Yahweh. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. It's only been three years since I've been using. This technology, <laughs> um, the divine council, right? And other gods, Yahweh Elohim, El, El Shaddai, El Yon, right? So that's a whole sheet on, right? On, uh, you know, ways and places that those names appear, um, and then commentary on those different names. Okay. So, so there's lots written about that in general. Um, Yurei Vave is a name of love and Elohim is, um, the name of justice. So there's Ahava and Yirah, and Elohim is Yirah, Yodevevah is Ahava.
0: Noticed also they they used Bnei Israel and Ivrim, Hebrews and children of Israel. Correct. And then um, Jacob's name switches from Israel to Jacob. There isn't a consistency correct as to wh- when one name is used versus another. Correct. Is it possible, you were asking before about God saying, I was known by a different name, that for Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob, it was more a personal God dealing with their personal and family lives, and here it's God dealing with the people, and the liberation of the people rather than individual family. Yes.
1: So thank you for that explication of what I meant by possibly they need a different iteration of The appearance of the divine in the world then did the ancestors. So thank you. That is a a beautiful explication of that. So that we were dealing with the first family before, and now we're dealing with the people as a nation, right? This is the the, our ancestor stories were about the family that becomes the people Israel. Now we're this is the story of the people Israel becoming a nation and
0: God in history. Birth (laughs) of a nation.
1: How many (laughs) (laughs) names? What a great name. Are there
0: only (laughs) seventy-nine? I knew there were a lot a different. bunch no bunch. Yeah. A bunch. <clears throat> okay. I'll list them if you want. Well, there there
1: the rabbis ascribe different meanings to those names because they can't have it be that there was once a bunch of different gods that then are subsumed into the Israelite God when monotheism is created. They can't have that. So they they are saying it's always been the one God that we have encountered, and we've just done that in lots of different ways at lots of different times, and that's why there's lots of different names. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes we do get a certain name for God that is used with a certain way that God appears. When God is Ishmael Chama, when God is a man of war, it's pretty uncomplicated what's being evoked when you call God Ishbil Chama.
0: And we have the shin on the door of the synagogue, but what was once the mm-hmm. door is no longer. The shin, is that for Shaddai? That is for Shaddai.
1: And it is on every mezuzah. Oh, so. Yes. Um, so if you have a mezuzah, you can look. And And on the back, the cloth is the parchment is wrapped in a way that the scribe writes a shin on the back, of on the outside of the cloth that where it's rolled. And that shows through the opening in the back of the mezuzah. Yes, sir.
0: What aspect of God is Shaddai?
1: Oh, here we go. I knew somebody, <laughs> somebody was going to go there. Um So, um you know, actually, like I'm going to send you the sheet. Okay. I'm going to send you the link to the sheet because it's, I mean, so there's lots of different commentators who want to, Talk about different that. ideas. Yes, who have different ideas. But I'll send you. I swear I'll send you the link to the sheet. I'll send all of you the link to the sheet. Great. Good. Okay. Um, but I'm going to use the disjunctive verb again at verse four. But Hakim Hakimoti et Briti Itam. But I did establish my covenant with them, meaning it wasn't somebody else, right? Just because they knew me only as El Shaddai, not as Yehovah. Where do we get Yehovah, by the way? Where, where do we, where do we get that as, as, ne- they didn't know me as that, you do, cause where did I tell you that? Bush. At the snap at the bush. I will be what I will be. Yudhe Vavhe is a combination of the letters that are about was, is, will be. It's a combination of words having to do with existence, capital E. Reality, capital R, as Rabbi Rami Shapiro would say. That name, scholars want to argue, is Mushite. That name, that's why we have that revelation at the Sneh. It's a Mushite name. It comes from the clan of Moshe. Other folks knew God as El Shaddai and as Elohim and as whatever. It is a Mushite name. This, this Yure Bape business.
0: I'm glad to hear the word Mushite. Or the Moshe clan. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: there's Aaronid and Mosheite, two two clans that were in early Israel, right? And they were in probably some tension because we get Harun and Moshe as leaders, right? I completely lost my train of thought. Okay, so um, so so I'm, I'm no I'm no different, and the covenant stands. I made a covenant with them. That's that's still in place. Now you know me right in a slightly different way, and just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Because Egypt and everybody else is about to know me in a much different way hmm. than till, right? Than till now. Just wait, God said. Just wait. And you'll see, right? What's going to happen. Alright. Um to give that, so what, what is that covenant? To give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings where they had sojourned. And I have also, Begam, I have also, Shamati, I have heard at what? Na'akat B'nei Israel, the, the cry the moaning of the children of Israel, the people of Israel, Asher mitrayim ma'avdimotam, with which the Egyptians, right, have servified them. And I remember my covenant. So there's lots written about why did it take 400 years? Because according to rabbinic tradition, which is actually a, a midrash that I really, really love, it took the people crying out. As long as we are willing to accept servitude and oppression, there is nothing to be done. God can't do it until the people declare it intolerable, till the people say, no, this is not okay. As long as people buy into the system, there's not much to be done, right? Which I love about our tradition that we have to do something to, to, set in motion that which can change the world. Maybe it'll work now. So so this is what we're going to, that's what we're going to talk about. So last week it was Chemla. Last week it was the Chemla of Bat Paro for the baby. It was her compassion that set change in motion. Because by saving that baby, she allowed for the possibility of a leader to deliver the people out of oppression, Mm -hmm. right? So this week, it's that the people themselves have to say, this is not okay. They have to cry out against the reality that is being perpetrated against them.
0: You need
1: to be on national television. <laughs> My job is hard enough. Okay. So, lachein, therefore... And more, live in Israel, say to the people of Israel. Now we should have quotation marks, right? Ani Adonai, I am Yod Hev The Hot Saiti Etchem, Mitahat I will deliver them. etchem, Y'all, I will deliver Y'all from under the Sivlot Mitraim. We've seen this word, the sufferings of Mitraim. The commentators, our amazing teachers, said, Don't read Sivlot, read Savlanut. Don't read sufferings. Read sovel, lisbol, to suffer. Yes, but it's also the root of the word sablanut patience. I will deliver them from underneath their patience for this. That's liberation. Liberation comes only when we are impatient for it to be different. Behitzalti me avodatam and I will save them. From their uh, servitude, and I will redeem them with an outstretched arm. Right. So the Hagada, right? What does the Hagada tell us? There's meaning to each one of these terms: v'hodseti, v'hitzalti, v'gaalti. These are not the same things. All Because we can't have Department of Redundancy Department in the Torah, God forbid. So this can't mean the same thing, that I'm just taking them out of Egypt. You, why would God say the same thing three times? We can't have that, right? Torah never repeats itself without reason. So, so Hoteti must be different from Hitalti, which must be different from Begavi. And there's reams of, of commentary written on what each of these terms, and if you read the Maxwell House Sagata carefully, it will tell you what each of these terms mean. I grew up sunburned and... In a brand new starchy, scratchy dress,
0: mm-hmm.
1: listening over and over and over to the difference between Hozaiti, Heatzalti, and Gaalti.
0: Okay. What did the starchy dress have
1: in it? <laughs> it was it was, we were in Florida. I always got sunburned, and then we had to wear your your pasta your Seder dress, which was always new and scratchy and lacy and oh. But I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. The la Lee, and I will take y'all. For me, as a nation, as a people, Hayiti Le Elohim, and I will be for you Elohim, God. And y'all will know ani that I am Yod He as opposed to whom? Maro, who says I don't Yodea this God, I don't know this God. Right? You're gonna be different from par- oh. Y'all are gonna know that I am vav Vavhei. Your God. Eloheichem, Hamotzi et mitachat lot Who has taken you out. The taker outer of y'all. From, right? Hamotzi. The taker outer of y'all. From under the suffering slash patience of Egypt. Abraham and I will bring you to the to the land that I swore on oath to give by stretching out my hand over it, whatever. We're not really sure exactly what that is. Um, to give to Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov, and I will give it, I will give her, meaning the land, to Yal Morasha as an inheritance. Ani, Yudhei I am Yodhe By damn, Moshe can't open Israel. So Moshe goes to take the good news to the people. Moshe goes to the people. He's just been told by the Almighty that this is what's going to happen. They're going to go free. They're going to inherit their own land and they're going to be God's people and God's going to protect them and it's going to be amazing. And they didn't listen. They didn't hear. The same word in Hebrew. You have to figure out how to translate Shema, hear or listen. So, so they didn't hear. They didn't listen to Moshe. Why? From what? This mem, me, from, because of what? Kotzer Ruach. What is Katsar? Good, Rita. Short. Yes, short. Good. Katsar, short. What's Ruach? Spirit, or
0: wind?
1: Spirit wind, wind, or? Breath. 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 Mm-hmm. Spirit, wind, breath. Same same word, ruach, mikotzer ruach, they couldn't, they didn't listen to Moshe, or they couldn't hear Moshe, however you want to translate that, from a shortness of spirit. Ume avodakasha, and from the incredibly difficult servitude. Now, pay attention, which is the first year I've ever seen a commentary that says pay attention, to (laughs) Pay attention to that vav. Because what does that vav say? From shortness of spirit and and hard servitude. So what does that suggest, says one of our commentators? That and is important. Torah doesn't waste letters. What does that mean? Why is that important? Because usually this gets translated, and we're going to see some commentary on it. Usually this gets translated as their kotzer ruach is a result Of the abodakashah, of the hard servitude. That is not, if you read it literally, the case. They can't hear Moshe because of a shortness of spirit and hard labor. So that means kotzeruach is not caused by hard labor. What's it caused by? Ah, funny you should ask we
0: <laughs> <They> weren't ready
1: <laughs> Mehmet you I think we're trying to speak earlier and I well, ran right well, over you
0: well, It was just a sh- short remark about God um, God's names it it's basically like an operating system every now and then uh, the people's uh, consumer behaviors change, the conditions change, and then you need to um, give it a new name. And then people go and download it and they use it. It's like a new iPhone, you know? They tell you, you know, all the, all the new features and you go and buy it. Be- people are excited about the new God, a, a, a more advanced God. That That's what I thought.
1: Beautiful. So as we evolve, like it's very Kaplanian, right? Um I got told during the seminar on Kaplan though, right, Bert, that I'm not to use the word Kaplanian because Kaplan would hate that. I'm like, okay, but Kaplan suggested we have the freedom to ca- call something Kaplanian, even if Kaplan would hate it. So sorry, I'm going to use it. So it's very Kaplanian to me. This idea that as the people evolve and change, the, right? There's a new oper they have a new name for the operating system that's always been behind and through everything, but, but, but we use it differently now, right? Like the things that make technology happen or have always been there. But we, we, it's our ingenuity and, and our new needs that drive us to write new programming to use this technology that's the same differently,
0: sort of. We always right? spoke, we always wrote to each other, but th- the ways we communicate change. So it's, we basically yeah. evolve. That's it. Absolutely.
1: Okay. A- and we don't necessarily set aside other ways we have experienced, right? Things, right? You know, we, we, I still make a fire in my fireplace, even though I have a heat that I can turn on, right? You know, we don't abandon all other technologies because we evolve new technologies, right? We still have basic needs that go back to, right? The fundamentals. Okay. Well said, uh, Mennon. Okay. So, oh, I have to share my screen again.
0: Is it clear from the text who's what, what ruach is? What ruach is?
1: is it moshe or is it the people so it seems by el because it's in the plural and because it B'nai Yisrael comes right before it it would seem it's they're talking about the kotzeruach belonging to the people right shamu el moshe mi that mem is important right they didn't hear moshe mi kotzeruach from a
0: shortness of spirit but that's not referring to his speech impediment or his shortness of breath um I, you i would i would listen
1: to a case for it but i feel like lo shamau mi is the is the ark take out moshe right they didn't hear from a shortness of spirit and and um and hard labor Right. So those things seem to suggest it's, it's the people not being able to hear that's being referenced. I'm not suggesting Moshe might not have his own Kotzer Ruach going on. I totally buy that, right? That Moshe's got his own stuff here, like for sure. Um, but it seems the lo Shama'u they couldn't hear seems to be related to Kotzer Ruach, or at least that's where, where most of the, uh, commentary focuses. All right. So let's show you the commentary okay so okay this is in google docs amy that means to make it bigger you can't just do this see technology to Mehmet's point <laughs> so that means i have to go bigger okay can you all see that okay all right so here's our verse they could not hear right their spirits crushed the less you betsy Um, uh, let's look at rashi Always we want to go to Rashi first, because Rashi's going to like go to the most pshat. He's going to go to the absolute straightforward interpretation. But they hearkened not to Moses. Different translation, obviously. They did not accept his words of comfort, is what Rashi is suggesting. Mikotzer, ruach, through anguish of spirit. If one is in anguish, their breath comes in short gasps, and they cannot draw long breaths. So so Rashi is going to the absolute meaning of the words shortness of Ruach, in this case, breath. They are short of breath. They are out of breath because they are always so anxious and on edge, right? And oh, and exhausted.
0: Having a panic attack.
1: They're, they're all on the edge of a panic attack all the time. They can't breathe. They literally can't breathe. porno says, ruach," from commenting on these words, for it did not appear believable to Richard Rajay's point, to their present state of mind, so that their heart could not assimilate such a promise. They couldn't listen to Moshe. They couldn't hear the message from Kotzer Ruach because their constriction was such. Their their mind was in such a state that they that their heart could not assimilate that message. They didn't. They lacked, to Richard's point, the imagination that It was possible, right? Okay, what does even Ezra want to say? even Ezra says by Deber, Moshe spoke, Israel did not hearken nor pay attention to the words of Moshe, as their spirit was impatient because of the length of their exile and the hard labor which was recently put on them. Okay, so Sforno also notices Khutzer Ruach and hard labor, right, are not necessarily. One and the same, right? They have been in exile and they have had a more recently harder work put on them. Recently put upon them means no straw, right? So kotzeruah comes from the intensification of their labor. Okay. Which is who fall according to the people? <laughs> yep. More things change. <laughs> Right? When people suffer, they turn on their leaders. Just saying. All right. Ramban, as my yeshiva teacher used to say, Ramban, to distinguish from Ramban. "Ramban, Okay. So Ramban, Nachman it is, but they hearken not unto Moshe for impatience of spirit and for cruel bondage. It was not because they did not believe in God and God's prophet that they hearkened not. Rather, they paid no attention to his words because of impatience of spirit. As a person whose soul is grieved on account of his misery and who does not want to live another moment in their suffering, even though they know that that suffering will be relieved later, the impatience of spirit was their fear that Paro would put them to death as their officers said to Moshe and the cruel bondage was the pressure for the taskmasters pressed upon them and hurried them in their daily task, which gave them no chance to hear anything and consider it. So, so the, the folks who are over them of their own people haranguing them constantly, because what happens if production drops, what happens to the people placed over those work gangs?
0: Management gets cut. <laughs>
1: Middle management gets cut literally. <laughs> right. So, so the officers, if they will be held responsible, if they don't meet their quota, if the people don't meet their quota. So the officers are taking out their anxiety on the people. So the people can't, they they can't deal with it one more second. Even if you're going to tell me this is going to end, but it's not ending now. Go tell a woman in labor, it'll be over. You're going to have a beautiful baby and you're likely to get hit. (laughs) right like what does that matter to me right now (laughs) right obviously that's why I'm doing this I'm not an idiot but it doesn't help me right now in the middle of my suffering for you to tell me it's gonna end that that is completely unhelpful right go tell a kid who's about to get a shot it'll only take a second (laughs) <laughs> like, like, it has nothing to do with the child's reality and comforting them at all. It's only going to take a minute. Yeah, what's well, going to hurt during that time? Thank you very much. Right. So that—that's what Ramban is suggesting. So they can't hear. It doesn't matter that they're going to be—even if they believe Moshe, it doesn't matter. The—the the suffering that they're in right now, they—they—they they, they can't stand it another minute. Let's look at Rabbi Elshai She says, "My, in my experience." This is an apt description of despair. Despair is different from sadness, fear, or even suffering. One can experience any of those difficult emotions or states of being and still have space in the mind and heart for the possibility of the unknown future. We can be sad. We can be afraid and also trust that that there's hope that things will be better at some point. I won't always feel this way. That's why we don't kill ourselves. Seriously, in all seriousness, we don't commit suicide when we're seriously sad because we trust and hope that I'm not always going to feel this way. That's when people commit suicide is when they feel like that's never going to
0: change. And and they remember that they don't always feel that way. Right.
1: Right. Beautifully said, Rick. So um, she's so she's suggesting despair is different from that. Right. In despair. One believes that there is only one answer you need, and it is no. Nothing will change. There is no hope and no possibility. Despair, even though it is desolate and hopeless and filled with pain, is actually an alluring resting place when you're suffering. There are no unknowns. There is no possibility of disappointment, and none of the hard work required to keep the aperture of the heart open to the possibility of transformation. Despair offers a false sense of protection against future pain by closing us down in advance, locking all the doors and wallowing in our suffering. This jumped off the page to me, just to me, because I'm like, isn't it tempting a little bit to say, you know what? It is just never gonna change. I'm hearing this a lot these days from Jews. It was odd that I would be speaking with Jews, but (laughs) I'm hearing a lot of this language of it's never going to change. It's always been this way. It's going to be this way and it'll be this way forever. And I think what El Shai is pointing out is the incredible danger of wallowing in that because the danger is. You don't have to do the hard work required to keep the aperture of the heart open to the possibility of transformation. You don't have to do any work. You don't risk anything if you stay with, this is how it's always been. This is how it will always be. There's a there's a temptation there that lets us off the hook. That it's as, as disgusting as it sounds, that it's always going to be this way. You think that's the worst thing you could say, but actually, is it? The worst thing you could say, she, I think she's suggesting, is we can't let it always be this way. We don't have that luxury. We have to fight anti-Semitism wherever we see it. We have to call it out wherever it happens. We have to keep sharing stuff that counters it. I'm going to share with you Tal Becker standing in front of the um international court with South Africa calling for Israel to be sanctioned about genocide. My teacher from Hartman, Tal Becker, from South Africa. Standing before the court, leading Israel's case. That's what has to happen. We have to have articulate leadership, speaking, leading, fighting, changing minds, changing hearts. But that's hard work. It's way easier to say, you know what? That's not going to change. It's always been this way and it always will be. So as, as, as much as we like to think that's the worst thing we could say, I don't think so. I think she's right. That, that giving into despair is, is a way of letting ourselves off the hook. How do we emerge out of this? Just one second. How do we emerge out of this place of extreme narrowness? One clue comes from Ramban. He argues that Kotser Ruach indicates the Israelites' impatience of spirit as a person whose soul is grieved on account of their misery and doesn't want to live another moment, even if they know they're going to be relieved later. If impatience leads to despair, what is she going to argue? Practicing patience and trust is our path out of it. In Torah, God backs off the Israelites. God does not demand anything of them right now. God backs off, right? Okay, I'm not going to push you. Y'all can't hear it? Okay, so God backs off. Um, They can't hear the declaration of commitment and love that God is promising. So God starts the process of offering signs and signals that slowly peel away the layers of doubt and closed offness on the part of the Israelites. Trust slowly emerges in the place of doubt, melting, despair, and hopelessness. Watch, God seems to be saying, I'm going to take care of you. You will be delivered. You will get out of this. All you have to do is be patient and trust. Trust. There will be more asked of the Israelites very soon, right? It's not going to stop with stand back and watch. It's going to start there. God says, I get it. I get it. Y'all can't hear. You can't get my message of love. I get it. I get it. So I'm going to do some crazy stuff. I'm going to show y'all some crazy stuff, right? Um, That's fine. I get it. That's my job. Y'all can't hear. No problem. I'll take care of it. But that's not going to be always. They're going to have to. When they come out of despair, they're going to have to do something. They're going to be told to pack up everything they have and leave everything they know for an unknown future on the other side of the sea. Yeah. And how does that go? But for now, but for now, in the slow movement from slavery to freedom, the Israelites are just asked to show up to witness God's love for them and to slowly open up to the possibility of change. So to your point, Judith, about like you know, there is a part of me goes. So what what does that mean today? Like what does that mean for us now? What does that mean in our stuckness, mm-hmm. in our despair? Like what what is the message? So you know, one is to be continue to be vigilant, but the other one I'm hearing is that we we have to be open. To We have to do the work. I love how she says we have to be willing to do the work of keeping the aperture of the heart open to the possibility of a different future. If we don't, it can't emerge. If we don't, we just gushrai and give up. Th- then it's certain that it's not going to change.
0: That's very seductive. And hope is not certain. And you'll notice I didn't use that word. No, I will hope or it it's not certain, but despair somehow has a great certainty to it that hold, the pessimists... hold that
1: thought, Bert Kleinman, because that is the text I'm gonna close with. Yep. You just hit the nail right <laughs> on it. the proverbial head. Okay. Um so but that means I'm gonna have to skip something. Understood. Because we don't have a lot of time left. Okay. So I wanted to we we'll just skip smoker because it's kind of involved. Um, see, 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 the mm-hmm. commentary. Okay. So, um. All right. There's commentary. okay. So going to, let's go to Rabbi Rachel Goldenberg.
0: How much time do I have?
1: <laughs> this could go so fast, y'all. Go to Rabbi Rachel Goldenberg, who's talking about Kotzeruach. Their minds and hearts have become chronically constricted in response to the physical and spiritual suffering they have been bearing. When we've been abused or hurt, a habitual response can be to take on the identity of victimhood. The Israelites take on the identity of slavery rather than seeing it as an impermanent condition. When we can't imagine that the suffering can change or end, we take it on as part of us. To always see oneself as a powerless victim is a dangerous state of mind and heart. We close ourselves off from the places in our lives and in the world where we might seek hope and liberation. We resign ourselves to a chronic sleepiness that masks the truth that we do possess the energy to get up and change things. When we numb out as a way of coping with our own pain, we also find it harder to notice when we are hurting others as permanent victims. We can find ourselves rationalizing our own persecution of others. When our hearts harden against our own pain, we no longer feel the world's pain. I won't go a lot into that, but I'm worried about that too. A lot. I'm worried about that too for us. Right. Um, so Rachel Baronblatt, the Velveteen rabbi says our breath and our spirits were in Souris. We're in suffering. Right. Um And then, but we're going to go on. So I want to go to. Uh, so this is from the Marginalian, which is a new site that I'm in love with. It's a bulletin from somebody who loves to read, reads vociferously and then brings all of those threads together into a topic uh, and then has lots of hyperlinks to the things that she reads. Um, so you can see every every place there's red, you can click on it and it'll take you to right a discussion of that. OK, so you don't have it um, here, y'all in the room. You don't have it. All right. So it's called The Marginalian. You can sign up for free if you just to check it out. See if you like it. You can always cancel. I'm a paid subscriber because I love it and I want to support her work. All right. So this 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 issue is called of The Marginalian is called Hope, Cynicism and the Stories We Tell Ourselves. To Bert Kleinman's point, to live with sincerity in our culture of cynicism, is a difficult dance one that comes easily only to the very young and the very old, the rest of us are left to tussle with two polarizing forces, ripping the psyche asunder by beckoning to it from opposite directions, critical thinking and hope. Critical thinking without hope is cynicism. Hope without critical thinking is naivete. So I'll go into Bert's point about both, right? The both and both are dangerous right? Finding fault and feeling hopeless about improving the situation produces resignation. That's what we've been talking about. Cynicism is both resignation's symptom and a futile self-protection mechanism against it. Blindly believing that everything will work out just fine, to Bert's point, also produces resignation for we have no motive to apply ourselves toward making things better. If we just say blithely, you know what? There's a purpose. It'll all work out. There's always a silver lining. There's always a reason, blah, blah, blah. That's why I said I didn't use the word hope because you know me. If you know me, you know, I get nervous, really nervous about hope that is naivete. Hope that it's like, so we don't have to do anything because I'll just keep hoping that it'll get better. I just will trust that it's all going to get better because everything happens for a reason. I can't stand it because it's lazy and it's frightening to me what can happen when we just say, so I don't have to do anything because it's all going to work out just fine because I trust the universe. That is how terrible things happen. So blindly believing that everything will work out just fine also produces resignation for We have no motive to apply ourselves toward making things better. But in order to survive, both as individuals and as a civilization, and especially in order to thrive, we need the right balance of critical thinking and hope. A plant needs water in order to survive and needs the right amount of water in order to thrive overwater it and it rots with excess underwater it and it dries up inside all right i just want to um close us out with um also a new uh place i found mtorah.com uh melissa carpenter who uh is um she has a mastery of um biblical hebrew so you know me that's very exciting to me um, to watch somebody unpack it. And so she's talking about ruach from the Kabbalah. she she goes through lots of them. I only picked the one where she's talking about what it is in Kabbalistic terms. That there is in for Kabbalah, there are different, there are different levels to a person, right? And um the ruach is at the level of nefesh. The same nefesh is the level of soul that every living thing has that we have in common with the animals. That's not a bad thing. It's just the most basic level of who we are as spiritual beings is the the animating life force, right? That's the Ruach level. Um, Drive um, and motivation, like all of that comes from Ruach. Um, And so then she says in the story of creation, what do we have at the very beginning? Before anything's created, before light is created, what do we have? Ruach Elohim, merachefet alpnehamayim. The Ruach of God is hovering over the deep. That's before anything is created. So it is that right element of like the basic, right? Ruach. So um, a human being's own ruach may not be as enormous as God's Ruach, obviously, but it is a motivating force that can be ignored only by rigorous denial. And Pharaoh is the king of denial i'm here all week he does not he does not listen to the word of god because his ruach is stunted he refuses to believe that change is unavoidable right so the people their ruach is imprisoned by continuous suffering and they refuse to believe that change can happen to them and she's this is why i wanted to bring it to you she says i've been in that constricted place too I've cried over more than one unbearable situation in my life, unable to believe that I could do anything about it or that it would ever change. But each situation did change. Sometimes I heard a different inner voice and found a way out. Other times, the change happened without an action on my part at all, like by the grace of God. And all I had to do was respond to gird my loins and go with it, which is what they're going to do, right? They Remember, they have to eat Passover dinner in hurriedness and with their loins girded. Deliverance will happen for them, but they better be ready. But what about when you're still trapped in the suffering? How do you find the voice you haven't been hearing? Does it take a temporary break, a deep breath, a real Shabbat, three days in the wilderness to hear the voice of freedom? Or do you need someone or something to lead you out of your Egypt, whether you're ready or not? I... I, I think it's all of the above. Exactly. And it's different, different manifestations. Just as we were talking about names for God, it's different manifestations at different times. Sometimes I can, something happens. I read something, I respond to something and I'm ready. I, you know, and I, and I can listen to that inner voice that responds and go. Other times, you know, I feel like somebody needs to just like drag me out of myself by the scruff of my neck. You know, I think of a mama with kittens. You know, where the kittens are paralyzed, you know, when mom bites them in the right. back of the neck and like carries them around and they're just like paralyzed, like, <laughs>
0: yeah. getting
1: dragged around. Like there's times I feel like that. Right. Um, and so I think um, to to our discussion about how, how do we stop from lingering and the temptation of being in despair because it's so much easier. Um, I think like it, it does take work to figure out which of these do I need today, today, to not slip into the real ease of despair.
0: You're talking about despair. I think of this also with grief. It's very pertinent with the the going through grief processes. I'm doing something. So
1: how do we, how do we prevent that from taking over? And to Bert's point, how do we not go the other way? The other lazy way of saying, you know what, it'll all work out. It'll all be just fine. Right. right? And we and walking that middle path is hard work. And I want to honor that. I don't want to say it to scare us. I want to say it because, because, yeah, it's hard work. And so people we get frustrated and say, like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, we do this to ourselves so that we do the work to keep the aperture of the heart open to a new possibility. And then do the work. To make that possibility real.
0: I, I, I would add you can't do it alone.
1: And we can't do it alone. This is not a solo flight, right? This is the, why the message about Exodus is a message about the people, the community, the nation. It is no longer a story of individuals. Yeah, Moshe is an individual and every, the community is made up of individuals, but this is about the Kahal. This is about Kehilat Yisrael. This is about us as a people knowing we have to do it together. That's the only way liberation happens. It's the only way it changes is if we do it together, each with our own strengths and gifts and talents and challenges and whatever, Sarah.
0: And here we
1: are. And here we are, says Sarah in her great
0: wisdom. And here we are.